Amen. Heed the drums and hear the call. I really think that's a really good battle cry for us today. Today's sermon in our series called Tribal Living is talking about that word legacy. The word legacy. And, and we, we say, well, what is legacy? And legacy is the story that we write about our lives. It is the story that people will talk about when we are gone into eternity. And frankly, again, I want to bring in another thought of that. It's not only the story that we write about ourselves, but I think it's also the story that the church is writing and addressing the cultural issues of today. So, legacy is the story that you are writing even now about your life that will be told one day after you are dead and after you are gone. I need to tell you that. I'll, I'll tell you later, but I'll probably tell you now. And that is this. You know, best I can tell from the Bible, if I remember correctly, is only two people, two people didn't die. Of course, Jesus died and rose again. But a guy named Enoch in the Old Testament and a prophet named Elijah were the only two people that did not die. Enoch simply disappeared because God took him, and Elijah went away in a chariot of fire. So those are the only two. I guess I'm trying to tell you, the odds of you dying are very good. Okay, the odds that you're going to die is very good. So one day, barring Jesus Christ coming back, which he could, barring Jesus coming back, someday around the family dinner table, around the Christmas tree sometime, some holiday weekend, someone's going to tell your life story. And the question is... What do you want that life story to be? And, and, somewhere in the future, the times, these times, are going to be talked about, unless Jesus comes back, are going to be talked about in the future church. When people think about what happened in America in these years, they're going to go, well, let's talk about what, what was the church doing in those crucial times? How did they respond to the issues of the day? So you're writing an individual legacy and a big legacy. Also this, let me say this. We're going to talk about Moses in just a minute. And understand Moses was an old guy. And so I'm speaking to the older guys and gals in, in the room. Um, and that's part of that, okay, because we're toward the end of our legacy story. Um, but hear me loud and clear. If you're alive today, particularly, once again, I'll go back to my young parents. If you're a young parent today and you have children under your voice, a sound of your voice at home, if you have students that sound of your voice, you have a very important legacy you're writing also. Legacy doesn't start when you're 62 or 5. It starts even right now. So everything I'm going to say today basically is about all of us who are writing this legacy. Now these are crucial, crucial times for us today. Let me tell you what's happened and what's going to happen because I think it's important. Um, I spent last week at the Moody Bible Institute, as in Chicago, an incredible institution, very fundamental conservative uh, institution uh, for the Word of God. And I spent the last five days, Monday through Friday, in conferences. And we talked about the first half was the good old preacher's conference where your pastor gets fired up, gets fed. you got to put something in, you get something out. And so I'll read some great sermons for personally for pastors. And the last half of the conference was engaging the culture. And I picked up some information and, and about the culture that was very, very valuable. And uh, it's been packing. Now, this is not a message, by the way. 
I try my best not to preach other people's messages, and this is not something some preacher said at the conference. Okay, I want you to get that straight. But we heard some information which I'm going to share with you about some numbers about America that you need to hear. And then, in about two weeks, Jeannie uh, and I will go to the Southern Baptist Convention during the week, and also we will represent you at the Southern Baptist Convention. We are taking a bus up on Wednesday. If you're interested in going that, you can call the church and get details. But I promise you this. At the Pastors Conference and the Southern Baptist Convention, which again I will go and represent you, then we will once again be a big topic of discussion of culture. When you say, Brent, that's true, I mean the hot topic was going to be last year, last year it was same sex marriage. This year it's going to be bathrooms. But it's going to happen. So expect again more fresh information about the culture and how we can engage the culture. Then, 4th of July weekend, Jeannie and I are going to take a week's vacation. You give me four weeks a year, I'm taking a week's vacation. It's our 40th anniversary, and we're going to San Vegas. By the way, I'm not going to pause. What time is it? I'm not going to pause and tell you this. I'm at that stinking time of life when they introduce the speakers, you know? And he looks as old as me, but he's not. And so they go, and he's been married 32 years. Right? goes, yay! I'm going, oh no, I'm older than him, and they're married a lot longer. Not one guy was married 40 years or more. So I'm going, oh my gosh, I've reached that age, all right? There's value in that, but anyway, anyway, we're going to San Francisco. If I go about, no, it's good. I, I, I just want to say, when we get to San Francisco, we're going to experience culture firsthand. And this old naive preacher's eyes, are probably going to be open to some strange things. And you'll probably hear stories about that. So over the next six or seven weeks, there are three things that have happened and going to happen in my life to affect the messages that I bring to you concerning the culture. Dwayne, is that important? It's more than you know. It's more than you know. There's a, there's a common uh, conception that in America, and this is just widely believed, that uh, basically um, probably uh, seven out of ten Okay, something like that. Eight out of ten. Actually, I think, no, it's even better than that. One out of three or one out of two uh, Americans were evangelical Christians. In other words, 33 to 50% of Americans um, are, are evangelical Christians. Evangelical is very loosely described as someone who believes that Jesus Christ is the way to heaven, not a way, the way to heaven. So it's largely believed that, that by the culture, by the church culture, that a third to 50% of, of Americans are Christian. And what we learned at the conference was, was that four major studies, including Lifeway and Barna, two names that you probably know, came down and they studied it and suddenly came to the same conclusion. That it's not 50% or 33%, it's 7%. Less than 10% of the American culture are evangelical Christians, being defined as a person who believes that Jesus Christ is the way, the only way. That's just one, one of the criteria, but it is a criteria. What that means is this. You can take all the evangelicals in America, so-called evangelicals in America, that believe that, and you can stack them in the state of New York. In other words, they have a mic, you know, email goes out, all evangelicals are going to New York State. So they take all evangelicals moving to New York. You could put every single evangelical in the state of New York and have the population of New York. Leaving not one single evangelical out in the country, leaving 
300 million lost people. If you want to know, well, how can America be the most lost nation in the world? That's our fourth largest lost nation in the world. How can that be? That's how it can be. So, so America, America is, is again, we are a vast minority. Evangelicals are a vast minority. If it seems like, why can't we influence Congress? Why can't we influence the White House? Why can't we influence? Is the reason why is, is because we're such a vast minority now, something many of us remember not being so. In fact, it's really crazy. One of the numbers that we heard was that between, and this is this, two out of three, that's 66%, two out of three of evangelicals who call themselves evangelicals will leave the faith, will leave the church by the time they're 30. Yeah, let me say that again. Let me say that again. Two-thirds, two-thirds of young evangelicals under the age of 30, excuse me, under the age of 30 will leave the church, leave the faith by the time they're 30. And the vast majority will not come back. And if they do come back, they'll be scarred by societal issues, divorce, abortion, and things like that. And, and again, that's, that number is still fluid because that generation is something that's like it. They may come back when they're 70 years old. But right now, the trend is that they're leaving the church in vast numbers. Now, there's a certain group of people here today um, who would say, I just can't believe that. I just can't believe that. Let, let me help you here. First off, understand something. I'm in that group. I, it's so hard for me to believe that that's the America that, that's come about. I'm sick. I'm up to, if you're under 40, close your ears. I'm 62 years old. Listen to me. Look at me. I am a senior adult. Sometimes I think the senior adults go, who is that crazy preacher? I am a senior adult. I am in your camp. I am 62 years old. I have lived the life that you lived. And it's hard to grasp. But we've got to come to terms that this is the culture that now lives in America. Let me help you. If you're my age, and if you're older than me, most certainly, but if you're my age, you remember being taught about Pearl Harbor in, in school. Now, I'm not sure how much they teach about Pearl Harbor in World War II now. But back when we were growing up, uh, I was born in 54, so, so World War II was a very fresh memory. Korea was real, actually, it's still going on. So we lived in a world of war, and we heard a lot about World War II. If that's true, you remember something. You remember being taught, and you may have heard your dad and mom say these words. One, America should have never gone into the war. America should have never gone into the war. It was so prevalent in 1939, 38, 40. America was isolationist. Stay out of the war. Stay out of the war. Stay out of the war. And the second thing is, how in the world did the Japanese attack Pearl Harbor and we didn't know? How did they attack Pearl Harbor and us not know? Now, the truth is, after December 7th, 1941, and this is for the old people, okay, uh, me, remember my generation, I'm giving this information to you as an illustration. After the war, you no longer heard we should stay out of the war. You know why? American blood had been spilled. It changed everything. 3,000 people died, roughly, at Pearl Harbor. At Pearl Harbor. They still had questions about how did that happen, but the questions faded in, in, the, in the past because American blood had been spilled. 
It was hard to believe, it was hard to believe that that culture changed so quickly, but it did. In the same way, I know it's hard for our senior adults, of which I am one, to really believe the culture has changed that much, but it has. One of the speakers uh, who wrote a book entitled, by the way, and I'm going to buy it, and you, I suggest you buy it, called The Great Evangelical Recession. He said when he was researching this book, and he's a young man, by the way, not an old guy, he's a young guy, uh, probably 38, somewhere there. And when he's researching this book, he, he made this comment publicly. He said, I foresaw the transgender issue about men going to women's bathrooms and vice versa. I saw that and said, I think that will happen in about 10 years. It happened in three. And you got to wake up to this. The culture that you knew, so you the culture that you knew and you longed for is gone. It's gone. And if we're going to be effective legacy builders in our families and in the church, we have got to be about the Father's business. We've got to be serious about the Father's business. The question no longer is, what kind of America are your children and grandchildren your younger parents. What kind of America will my kids grow up in? That's no longer the question. You're not going to like this, but I'm going to tell you. That same researcher said, I think the scale is tipped. Barring a divine, absolute miracle of God, the scale has been tipped. The culture in America is going to snowball faster and faster in the wrong direction. So it's not a question of what kind of America are your children going to grow up in if you're a young parent. Your grandchildren growing up, your great-grandchildren. The question is, how are we going to prepare them excuse me, for that America? How are we going to prepare them for that culture? And that is why legacy matters. Because what we pass on to our children and our grandchildren will equip them to live this new America. A land where, again, less than 10%. About 7% of, of Christians, excuse me, Americans, are evangelical. All right? How are we going to prepare them for future? And the answer is this. We've got to, the story we leave has got to be one of authentic Christianity. A Christianity that is lived out at home, at church, and community. It's got to be a, 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 a story that is written that shows your faith in Christ. Not, not your church attendance, not your ability to be religious, but an authentic faith in Jesus Christ. That is our best shot for passing the faith along to our children and to our grandchildren. I'm just telling you the story of that's the way we used to do it. I'm telling you the story, y'all go to church and know where the church is, ain't going to work. It's just not going to work. We've got to get in love with Jesus, in love with his word, and then live out that in an authentic way um, in our lives. So what we want to do is, and uh, yeah, what we want to do is we want to spend our time in Deuteronomy chapter um, 36, verse number 4, and then, then a few more verses. But I want to, I'm going to take a detour into Numbers chapter 20. I'll keep it moving along. I'll, I'll Trust me with the time. Trust me with the time. I'll do that. And let me tell you one more thing. It was made, the decision was made about Wednesday for us to divide this message. This was not a last minute deal. I've asked Brother Brent, uh, the, the message tonight really speaks to um, the ones we pass the faith to. 
if you're a young parent, I know you may say, Dwayne, I don't do something in church. I've got family stuff. I'm busy. I understand it's Memorial Day weekend. There's 9,000 things going on. I understand all of that. This message is for Memorial Day. And so I've asked Brother Brent if he'd be willing to watch the kids tonight. So we'll have nursery tonight. And then anybody, three, I guess three, four up, somewhere there, he'll hurt them in the gym here with the youth and play with them and keep them busy and everything and love going while we're having church up there. So I want to encourage you tonight, don't let child care be an issue. Come back tonight at 6 and let's talk about what, what is your young, is responsibilities of that legacy coming up, the younger legacy. Um, come on back tonight and let's talk about that tonight. All right, so let's look real quick and I'll keep you moving along. Deuteronomy 34, verse number 4. Story of Moses. Um, a couple things are about to happen. Moses is going to die. Okay, go ahead, Moses. Uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Moses is fixing to die. Okay, and secondly, the people are fixing to enter the promised land. So those two things are going to happen. They've wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. All right, and so Moses is going to die, and then they're going to enter into the promised land. That's what's going to happen. God, in verse number one, or one, two, and three, it says God takes Moses up on this real tall mountain, Mount Pisgah, and he lets him see all the promised land. Let's him see all of that, okay? And then he starts speaking in verse number 4. The Lord then said to him, him being Moses, This is the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, hey Moses, what I'm showing you is the promised land. And promised land is not heaven. If you ever see it as an analogy, a typology, in the Old Testament, it is not, it is not heaven. Most likely it's represented best in the New Testament by the abundant life. I would say it this way. You might want to see the promised land as God's best. God's best plan for you. Okay? So, so God shows Moses this land that he has promised the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He shows it to him. And then he says these words. I will give it to your descendants. In other words, I'm going to keep my promise. You need to know something. Again, legacy builders. It's so important that you understand God is faithful. What is happening today is right in mind with God's sovereignty. Folks, times are winding down. And I, and I said it last Sunday night, and I'll say it again this morning, and you may not like it. I hope we're still friends after this message. You know, the bottom line is America could be in judgment. America may well be receiving exactly what's asked God for. And God has finally said, you know, in Romans chapter 1, it says, and God turned them over. And God turned them over. And God turned them over. And just might be God saying, enough. Enough. I'm turning you over to your sin. That could be exactly. Don't think God's asleep on the job. There may be failure involved, but I promise you it's not on God's part. It's not on God's part. And so, he said, this is the land I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your own eyes. And that's grace and mercy. I'm going to tell you why in just a minute, why it's so important. But, but God was so gracious that Abraham, I'll get a squirrel alert, you're not going in. But I'm going to let you see it. You know, that's God's mercy and grace saying, Moses, you can't go in. But I want you to see it before you die. And God is so graceful, grace-filled and so merciful. And then he says it, but you will not cross into it. He shows him this land. He was the leader for all these years. And he says, now you can't go in. And Moses knew that. Because God had told him earlier. Now the question's got to be this. Why? Why? 
Moses, why can't you go into the land? I can just see the story played out with Moses' great-great-grandson. And they're sitting around the fire one night, and, and, and the great-great-grandson Moses says, Hey, hey, Dad, why couldn't Paul, Paul Moses come into the promised land? Why couldn't Paul Paul join us? Why, why is not Paul Paul buried Mary in the promised land? Why is he buried in the land of Moab? Why is that? Now, here's what I want to pause. You've got to understand. Let's see voters listen to me. And again, that's every person here. That question is going to be asked of your life. You know, Moses, as you're going to see in the end of the story, has a great story. But, but again, there, there was, a, there was a, a, an event that happened that had horrible consequences. And we, and we all make mistakes because we're not perfect. But our goal is to have so few regrets and so few major mistakes that our great-great-grandchildren are saying, why did he do that? Why did he finish like that? Why did she do that? Why did she finish like that? Our goal is that. And, and what we're going to look at now is the why of why Moses can't go into the promised land. And it's important for a couple reasons. One, I'm going to show you that a seemingly insignificant event to Moses turned out to be a disqualifier, not for salvation, but for God's best, for the promised land. So it's really important to understand, you know, that, that things that happen in life, all of them, hey, Sunday school class, listen, all these events have consequences. Remember when we talked about our children? We teach our kids that everything has consequences. Well, guess what? In your life, events have consequences. And God offers forgiveness, and God offers love, and you don't lose your salvation. But someday, if you're not careful, they're going to be sitting around the dinner table saying, why did that happen? How could that happen? We want to write a story without too many of those stories. And I promise you, you know, our kids, our grandkids, love to tell a story. Those said to Rebecca, tell us the story about the snake in the cold. Tell us the story about when, when Jennifer got a spanking and you didn't because you had two pair of pants on or something like that. You know, you know Patty, you know, Patty. Tell us those stories. So our goal is to be a place. So what happened to Moses? Let's get through it. Let's go. Numbers 20. Here it is. The, the, the children of Israel in the wilderness. This is life in the wilderness. The entire Israelite community entered the wilderness of Zen. In the first month, they settled in Kadesh. Miriam died and was buried there. And that was life in the wilderness. They were in the wilderness because of disobedience. God brought them to the preface of the, of the um, promised land. They said, no, we don't believe you, God. God said, okay, you're going to wander around the wilderness until everybody dies of that generation. We're just going to wander around until you die. And that was life in the wilderness. You got up, you camped somewhere, you ate supper, and somebody died. It was obituary after obituary after obituary. That was life in the wilderness. And boy, could we have a good talk about that if we had the time. So then verse 2. There was no water for the community. So they, assemb they assembled against Moses and Aaron. Now, the natural potency was to look at, at the person who represented God, Moses and Aaron. But here's the deal I want you to get. The people's, the people's fight was not against two men. It was against God. Because they were in the wilderness by God's ordaining power. I just told you that story. And so 
they were attacking Moses and Aaron, but the bottom line is their beef was just God. God was issuing a judgment, a punishment. They didn't like it. And they didn't understand. I love this. Tony Evans used this word. God was ticked off. But they directed their, their response to two men and not God. We've got to be careful. We understand that when we stand outside the word of God as a culture and as a people, our beef is with God, not with some person. Very important. It's very important. So, so the Bible said in verse 3, the people quarreled with Moses and said these. Listen to these words. If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Huh? Yeah, just a couple chapters back, they rose in rebellion again against God and against these men. And God sent a plague. And 14,700 people died. And they're saying, it would have been better for us to die in the plague than to be here now with you. Again, they didn't understand the judgment of God and the, the quarrels with God and not with men. Verse 4. Why have you... Why have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you brought this assembly here, all right, to die here? Well, first off, Moses would say, it wasn't me, it was God. You've got to understand something. Again, if in fact America is in a place of judgment, then the reason why it's happening is God's sovereignty, not God's absence. Let me say that again. The reason it's happening is God's sovereignty and not his absence. Believe me, God is bigger than President Obama. He's bigger than the Democratic Party. He's bigger than the Republican Party. He's bigger than the Supreme Court. And he is bigger than Congress. His will is being worked out. We may not like that will, but it's being worked out. Why have you brought here? And, 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 and you know, listen to this. You have brought us here in this place um, for our, us and our livestock to die. And Moses would say, that's the point. You are here in the wilderness to die. Anyone of this generation, you need to know something. You're here to die. Wow, it's harsh. It's hard. It's true. It's true. And again, if America's turned the back on God, that will be true of this generation. And and young people, again, if that's possibly true. You've got to prepare your family for life in that culture. You've got to prepare your family for life in that culture. He goes on, verse 5. Why have you led us up from Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Newsflash, this was the wilderness, not the promised land. You rejected the promised land, Moses would say. God brought you to the gate of the promised land, and you said, we're like grasshoppers. And you walked away. We may not like the wilderness called culture today, but just maybe, just maybe, God brought us to the preface of the promised land. And we said, no, God, we'll do things our way. And we see an example of that. It's coming up. We see an example of that. Verse 6. Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of the meeting. They saw God. Good idea. Good idea. Got a spiritual problem. Turn to God. They fell down with their faces to the ground, and the glory of the Lord appeared there. Now, now God speaks. Now listen real carefully. God speaks. The Lord spoke to Moses 
And now we don't have anything reported that they said, but we got what God said. The Lord spoke to Moses, take the staff, you know, the one that he heard the take the staff, not his worship leader in Utah, <laughs> okay? Take the wood thing, take the staff, and assemble the community. Now listen, the typology here is wonderful. You are to speak, you and Aaron, are to speak to the rock while they watch. And it will yield its water. You will bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. This is so filled with the gospel. You are to speak to the rock. When Jesus said, I'm establishing my church, he said, your name is Peter, Petros, small rock. And I am Petra. I am the rock. Now listen, the answer to America and the world and the sin problem is the rock. Is the rock. And they were to speak the rock and not strike the rock. And not only that, not only that, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel and the fact that Jesus is the rock, but this rock brings forth living water. When Jesus met the lady at the well, said, if you asked, if you knew who was speaking to you, he would give you living water. See, water is the one thing that's so essential for life. And Jesus Christ is the thing that's essential for life. So God has set us up to learn a lesson. Hey, Jesus is the rock. Don't strike it. Speak to it. There's power in the word of God, not striking. And... It will bring forth living water. And an amazing thing happened. He said, you're going to do this, and guess what's going to happen? When the community sees this, it's going to affirm your leadership, Moses, and I'm going to get glorified. It's going to, it's going to help before the people, for they'll listen to you because you do this, but also I'm going to receive glory. You can't have one without them. You, you don't need a firm leadership without God being glorified. And then you've got to call you got to call. You know, if you got a pastor and people come to us, the pastor's here, that ain't no good. You come to us, God's here. You come to us, God's here. So, so he said, you know, you're speaking to this flock, it's going to bring out water. You're going to be affirmed and I'm going to be glorified. All right, here we go. It just so happens, by the way, and y'all know that the Bible didn't have verses originally, but it just so happens this, this section is 9-11. 9-11. See, we had a 9-11. And 3,000 people died. And for a brief window, it seemed like America was turning back and repenting. A very brief window. And now we're at this, this place where the culture is, where it is. But let's see what happens now in Moses' life. What goes awry? Here it is. So Moses took the staff. Good. From the Lord's presence. Just as God had commanded him. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock. Good! I mean, ty- typology. That rock represents salvation. It represents grace. We shall always bring Jesus to the front. But then, the Bible says, Moses said to them, and this is where it goes wrong, listen, you rebels. Listen, you rebels. You can go back and read those verses but you won't find that attitude or action in God's words. You won't find it. Moses has totally gone off on his own here. 
Here, you rebels, must, oh, here it is, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Must we? Must we? I'm telling you, part of the problem of our culture today is the church relied on dollars and professional hired holy guys to try to grow a ministry. And I'm telling you, money won't build a ministry and holy guys won't either. Hire a holy guy. You are the church. You are the church. And it's we, it's us, who must go out to this culture and engage them. We use the scripture, Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 6, where, where Paul talked about, you know, when you're speaking to the outsiders, when you're speaking to the outsiders, you are to have speech that is gracious and seasoned with salt. This is so big. Do you see gracious speech here? No. No. If in fact, if in fact you could use this as a typology of sharing the rock and sharing the water, the approach is entirely wrong. The approach is entirely wrong. Listen, I only heard it once this week, but I didn't hear it again. And you're going to hear it more and more and more and more. We have got to love God and love people. The answer is not waving our fist at people and saying, you, 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 you. The answer is not anger. There may be some righteous indignation. I understand that. You might be saying a little bit now. The answer is not anger. The answer is God. And God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But God demonstrated His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we, I think we're afraid that love equals compromise. Really? Then I guess Jesus was the biggest compromiser we know. I guess God is just one big compromise. You don't have to compromise the love. Look at your Savior. Now I'm telling you, young parents, young parents, you have, we must, we must, young grandparents, we must, it's the rightest legacy story. We have got to love God to this degree we can't even put in words. And love those who are writing legacy for. Making them a huge priority in our lives. So Moses strikes the rock and says, Do we have to bring water out? And, and, and all this water came out. And you don't, don't see this as a procedural error. It's not. It's not like God's a God of details, and He is. But oops, you missed the detail. You. You said, I said, strike. Oh, no, I said, speak. Don't, don't see that because we're going to see something different. This is not a procedural error. error. This is an attitude error. This is a heart error. Then Moses raised his hand, struck the rock, and so the great amount of water gushed out, and the community and their livestock ground. Oh, well, good. See, it all worked out. Hey, it all worked out, Dwayne. We didn't do it exactly God's way, but it all worked out. We built big buildings, and, and, and we hired staff, and, and we, we bought pizza for the youth. Didn't teach me anything, we bought pizza for the youth. It worked out. 
But the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, because you did not trust me to show my holiness inside those wax, you will not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. This is not procedural. This is a trust issue. Because you did not trust me. I, I think wonder, you know, like, like maybe like Moses kind of thinking, thought he learned something from God. Because God, like I said, earlier in the, in the book, like, you know, they prayed up against God and God you know, killed 14,000 people. In his righteous indignation, he's saying, holy anger. Holy anger. It's just, wow. Maybe Moses said, I know he said, speak to the rock. And then he goes, but maybe we just need a little righteous anger here. Maybe he said, maybe he said, if God won't stand up for himself, I will. If God won't tell Jonah, if God won't get mad at him, I will. He didn't trust that God's way was best. And young parents, hear me. You have got to trust that God's way is best. Boomers, we've got to trust that God's way is best. Hey, great consideration. We have got to trust that God's way is best. We've got to. Trust me. It's the only hope we've got. I'm telling you, say it again. You may be tired of hearing it. If you're putting your marbles in Donald Trump's back, good luck. You putting your marbles in Hillary's bag or Bernie's bag? Really? Good luck. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in God. It is Him, and He will not He will not share with the political party. He's just not going to, okay? I mean, I, again, I I I'm so, listen, this is one time I'm qualified to speak. I'm old and yet I hope i got a young heart. And 12 years, count them, 12 years serving my country in the Air Force. 12 years. I voted in virtually every election since I was 18 years old. Okay? So this is not some whippersnapper preacher who never votes. I will cast the ballot in November. I'm telling you, that's not my hope. And it's not yours either. You know that. You know that. You know that. Hope has got to be Christ. And young parents, grandparents, as you pour into your grandchildren, that's your hope. Their hope and your hope is that of Christ. It's got to be Christ. Well, he wasn't one of the promised land. God was faithful. That wasn't going to change. That's why it was graceful to see it. Because there's no way God's going to let us care. He won't do that. He won't do that. He won't do that. And then, verse 13, these are the words of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord. And he showed, by the way, look at this. He showed his holiness to them. In his way, he showed his holiness to them. Meribah means quarreling. Quarreling. And while the church was quarreling, he lost the culture. While we were quarreling with God, we lost the culture. That's a piece of pie that we got in this time. 
slice me up. Well, you understand, I said this last week, look to our neighbors to the north. They are so godless. If you go to Europe, if you go to Europe, you're going to see vast monuments that used to see thousands of Christians. And now they're empty or museums. They're called cathedrals. If we don't engage the culture, and it may, we don't engage the culture, if we don't make Jesus the hope, we don't make God the hope, buildings like this are going to be a monument. This could become some public building that Harrisburg uses for basketball. Impossible! So was the attack on Pearl Harbor. So was the attack on We've got our work cut out for us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. It's time to get serious. It's time to get serious. It's time to get serious. Well, let's go back to Deuteronomy now. Verse 5 and 6. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there. I told you it was going to happen. Spoiler alert. I told you it was going to happen. And it happened in the land of Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, facing death cure, and no one to this day knows where his grave was. What a funeral. What a funeral. How should I have God conduct your funeral? How incredible is that? He said, wait, why did he at least bury him where they could find him? There was a reason. This was a people that constantly wanted to turn back. And there was a new leader coming on the field, and that's tonight. And they didn't want, God didn't want them looking away from that future leader to look back to the old one. That's why. That's why. So God buried them. And they never found where it was. That is encouraging. So Moses was a good guy. Yep. He had a pretty big boo Yeah, he did. No, boo boo sin. Not boo boo <laughs> Sin. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak and his vitality had not left him. How incredible. I, I just can't pass this opportunity. If you're sitting there and you're 70 years old, don't think it's game over. To a degree, you're in your prime. You may have the most influence on your children and grandchildren or great-grandchildren than you ever have. Don't buy the motorhome and go to Florida and think that's life. Nothing wrong with our home. Nothing wrong with Florida. But it's not life. If you're an evangelical, if you're born again, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a believer in Jesus, that's not life. Life is writing your legacy. Life is telling your story. Life is telling Jesus' story. It never ends. Until it ends. She died. She died. The Bible says we're saved. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. And then the weeping and mourning for Moses came from them. There had to be a transition. Everyone's going to die. There comes a time when your legacy is told and not written. And that occurs when you die, not before. The story's not over until you die. And they mourn for 30 days. See your adults? You pick what it is. You just pick 50 as AARP does. You pick 55, you pick 60, 62. I don't care. 
The senior adults, right now we're writing our legacy. But we have, and here's the message tonight, we've got to get one Senate change so far. Are we passing it along? Are we preparing the young men and women of our church today for the vast leadership, they're already leaders, the vast leadership of tomorrow? Are we preparing these young men to be deacons in the future? Are we preparing these young ladies for incredibly important places of service? Moses did. And Moses did. There had to come a time when mourning for Moses and yeah, I hope we're friends when I say this. I said that twice. Because I've taken this scripture and taught you two parallel tracks. I taught you an individual legacy and a legacy of the church. I would pray. I'm a pastor. I should pray. And this is one of those times I would pray with this. Father, I pray for a great revival to sweep America. I pray for national repentance. I would pray, Father, that the culture that was so centric on Judeo-Christian values, that, I would, that we would see that again in America. When prayer was back in schools and, and marriage was one man, one woman, and we knew what bathrooms were to. I would pray for that. Father, because you're sovereign, and because you know what you're doing tonight, don't, I've got to pray you're doing that. It could be a time of judgment. It could be. I've heard stories of that when the church comes under pressure, it becomes stronger. It could be God's using this time to rally the church to be the church. But regardless, the bottom line is this, and this is part of my life, and it's the truth. It's time to put long from the area. The 50s are gone. What's outside these doors is not the 50s. And we've been sitting here, and I know just, I know the message to preach that will make y'all shout and holler and go, Amen. I also know the message I need to preach, and that's this there's a lost world out there. As that pastor said, he now pastors in San Francisco. And he's very, he's trying so much to engage the culture. Are right, you got a picture? Young pastor, about 38, in San Francisco, trying to engage the culture. Now, listen, listen, listen. I ain't say this. Don't you dare think I'm talking compromise. Don't you dare think I'm talking watering down the gospel. Don't you dare think I'm talking about watering down the word of God. I'm not. I'm talking about authenticity. I'm talking about not what tradition dictates, but what the Word of God dictates. That's what I'm talking about. But you know what that pastor said? Even though he's trying to engage the culture, he says, they hate us. They hate us. And you might as well know, there's a vast part of our population who hates Christians. They hate hate what the hypocrisy of what the church sometimes is. They hate Christians. I think one of the reasons is because we stand again for God, who if he created, if he wrote the book, that means they're subject to him. And this culture doesn't want to be subject to God. They don't. They don't. 
So they buried him and they mourned for him. And it's time to quit. And it's time. I mean, it's time to put both legs. And Joshua steps up. Now, the key teacher was this. Joshua something was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. Joshua was ready to step up and take the reins of leadership because a older generation prepared him. Are we willing as the church to prepare future generations to engage the culture with the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ? Now I'm going to give you just one more word of encouragement. And you find it in that last verse. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face. Don't judge a man by a moment of time. Doubting Thomas, sinking Peter. Don't judge a man's life by a moment in time. God still said, No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew based. That's you, but we need love that you said about us. That we are a man or a woman whom God might face to face. So what will your story be? If you're if you're 30, 35 today, 37, what's your story be? You're right there now. You're right there now. If you're 50 to 65, what's your story going to be? You're right now. And again, if some of you would say, Dwayne, I don't have too much love. You know, there's a lot more sunsets in the past than sunsets in the future. Yeah, but you're still writing. The pen's in your hand. What are you going to write? You know, Lance Armstrong, one of those seven Tour de Francis, I mean, he was a hero to me. And when they found out he was doping, it shattered my faith. Not just him. How could that be? I mean, I don't like riding a bike. Don't like running. Don't like riding a bike. I would watch that silly program to see my hero. And he was dope. And instead of the legacy of Lance Armstrong being, wow! Really? Really? And worse than that, Bill Cosby. Those of you my age, we grew up, well, our adult years, watching Bill Cosby. All-American dad. We heard the stories how he would sit down with Theodore in real life on the set and pour into his life. We, we heard the stories when, when the uh, one of the daughter, I don't know what her name is, the wild one. How he would, he would speak into her life saying, where you're going is wrong, what you're doing is wrong. Then we find out he's doping women. I don't know if all those are true, but he's admitted to some of them. And once again, the all-American God, his legacy will never be that. Never be that. Because of consequences and acts. What's your story now? 
There's grace and there's forgiveness, yes. There's consequences that are going to follow you into three Christmases after your dad. And your family saying, hey, do you remember Grandpa? And it's going to be why and all of that. God's time is serious. It's time to be serious for the sake of our kids. Sake of our grandkids. For the sake of a lost culture. It's time to be serious. Would you bow your hands? Dave, I want the team to sing. I'm going to ask you to stand. I want the team to come up. I want you to stay seated. And I want you, if, if you, please, if you sense the presence of God, now's the time to pray. Now's the time. These are such dangerous days. And again, keeping in mind, the guy said 10 years the transgender thing had been issued. And it happened in three. The snowball is going faster and faster and faster. I literally almost shuddered when another pastor said, and we're not done yet. The culture's not done yet. I can't imagine anything more shocking than what we've seen. And he said, we're not done yet. A sister guard comes to tell me. I don't push the altar too much. But maybe today's good day. Maybe it's a good day. Dad, maybe it's a good day to reach over and slip your arm around your wife. She'll know what you mean. Maybe it's a time for Dad or Mom to reach over and look at your children, get their attention. Don't let you know. Hey, it's a great day to talk at lunch about legacies. Hey, it's a great day to start. Every young parent here, every dad and mom 
Father, that have those young children or students in their lives at home. I pray in Jesus' name, Father, for them. They need your help. They need your courage. They need your filling Holy Spirit. They just need you. Father, I pray for those of us who are in the grandparenting age. And God, as we get older, we won't get further from you. We'll get closer. And we'll understand as limited time comes that we'll become more focused on the eternal things and less focused on the temporal things. Father, that World War II generation, the greatest generation, there are just so few left. May they finish well. May they finish well. May they be the brightest torch in the band of torches. Now, God, I know the Holy Spirit is who changes hearts. And there's someone here today who's never experienced the marvelous grace that we spoke about. Father, give them the courage to come and say, okay, I want to know more about this Jesus. Father, for every, every person, God, that claims your grace and your forgiveness, let the torch burn in our lives. So this is your time. This is your invitation. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in